Sorry for the delays. Uh, I know all of my headcast network shows have been delayed, some more than others. I am working on rectifying that. But here it is, episode 29 of Head Speaks. Again, I apologize for the delays. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Just kick a little something for them cars that be bumping. Yeah, right, but we need a beat that they can front to. Oh, that works. Be funky. You know what I'm saying? Hello, greetings and hi. This is the Head Speaks Podcast, a proud member of the Headcast Network. I am your host, Aaron Moss, also known as Head. Welcome to Head Speaks, where I'll be talking about comics, movies, and basically anything geeky. But without further preamble, let's get the show started. As I said, welcome to Head Speaks episode 29. First up on today's episode... Yo, Joe! The Centurion of the Visionaries. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm. Geekin' with Head. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! On this episode of Geekin' with Head, I'm gonna basically reiterate a, a, a Facebook post I made the other day. First, a tiny bit of background. Uh, as everyone listening to this probably knows, I'm a giant geek. I, I love, I live, breathe, and eat comic books. Well, I don't eat e-comics because, well, the paper, you know, too much fiber. But anyways, and I've got a few friends here and there at work that I talk to about comics occasionally. A few friends that, you know, come to me with comic book questions. So, uh, I'm just a giant geek, as you may know. Also, those that know me, her personally, I grew up Pentecostal, I grew up religious, uh, in my later years of life, uh, I'm not so religious anymore. But that's another topic for another podcast, or another episode at least. Um, so at the end of the day at work, I've got this one uh, guy, he's a seasonal employee that we're fr- I'm friends with at work. His name's William. Hey, William. We were talking, and uh, William's one of these that have a passing familiarity with comics. He hasn't been until like I have. He doesn't, he's not, you know, an expert I don't know if I'm an expert, but he doesn't have my, my comic book knowledge that I have. So whenever William has questions, he comes and talks to me about it. He asks me the questions, I answer his questions. And it got me thinking, our conversation, that actually I, I realized that I actually do have a religion. Uh, the religion of comic books. And a lot of what I'm going to be saying I posted on my personal Facebook page here uh, not too long ago. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and... So if you've read my Facebook, some of this, a lot of this is going to probably be uh, restated. Uh, bear with me, and hopefully I'll get some more information in here if you've read it. If not, uh, we'll take a listen and see what you think. So as I said, I, I do. my religion is the religion of comic books. Our gods, I say our, people much like myself that worship the comic book, as it were. Our gods are those of Stan Lee... And before people get in my face about that, yes, I said Stan Lee. I know there's a lot of question of how much Stan Lee actually created and how much uh, 
Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, other creators, actually created Stan Take the credit for. But you know what? For years, they let Stan take the credit. That's why Stan became the face man of Marvel Comics. So, uh, yes, the heck with you. Stan Lee is on my list. Uh, there's also Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster, uh, Bob Kane. Again, another one that's questionable, but he's on the list because he is the public face of Batman. Uh, Bill Finger, who is actually fan-wise credit of a lot of the creation and inspiration for Batman. Joe Kirby, uh, Steve Ditko, and many, many other creators in the past. Uh, we have a pantheon of gods. Uh, so those are our gods. These are the, the men that created these characters that we worship, that we love, that we believe in. Our Bible, our good book, if you will... Boy, that's the Superman comics, the Batman comics, Spider-Man, the Suicide Squad, the Power of the Atom, and any other comic that we fans read up to this day, in the past, any time. That is our Bible. That is the, the scripture that we read to get our nourishment and to, to uh, uh, get our inspiration, if you will. Uh, and then we move on from there. And we have our Titans or our High Lords, however you want to refer to them. Our, uh, I guess they would be like our, our uh, Popes and what have you. Uh, these would be the current creators that create the stories that we currently read and love. And from the recent past. you got the greats, such as Jerry Conway, who created one of my personal all-time favorites, Firestorm. He did a lot of work on Spider-Man, the Just League of America. A busy, very great writer. Uh, then there's Dan Jurgens, who's a more recent writer. Uh, he's, he's written the uh, Teen Titans. He's written Superman. He's written a bunch of other books. He created uh, Booster Gold, amongst others. So another god among men. Not necessarily a god, I'm sorry. A high lord, a pope, whatever you want to call him. John Ostender. Created the Suicide Squad, wrote the Manhunter book, a bunch of others. He wrote Spectre. Uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. A fantastic artist, one of the best. Uh, worked on uh, many, many titles. Did a lot of Superman work, a lot of Justice League work over the years. Uh, George Titan Perez, again, worked on the Teen Titans, reinvented that, made it great. Uh, George Perez, or Perez. Uh, he's, again, another fantastic artist. Worked on the Crisis on Finite Earths. He's, a, again, a godly artist, if you will. I mean, his, his work is beautiful. Uh, Jerry, the Extraordinary Ordway. Alex, Rock, Kurt, Alex Ross. Kurt Music, Peter David. And I, I see that I'm missing on my list here. I've um, got many others. Peter David, uh, other creators, as I was saying. But along with uh, George Perez, I forgot Marv Wolfman, who also reinvented and made the Titans wonderful, worked on the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, sorry, uh, Mr. Wolfman, that I missed you on my list here. Again, there's many other writers and artists I didn't include, but it would be a cardinal sin for me to, to skip Marv Wolfman, in my opinion. So then we've got the gods, we've got our Bible, we've got our, our high lords, our titans, our, our popes, whatever you want to refer to them as. And then you move on to where I see myself, and it's actually something that William brought up 
that I see us, I see me fitting into. Uh, you have the priests or the reverends or whatever you want to refer to them as. You know, the holy men, those that speak the glory, those that spread the good word, those that, that keep the faith alive amongst the, the common man. Uh, that would be the podcasters, bloggers, Facebookers, uh, those that spread, as I said, that spread the good word. Myself, the irredeemable shag, Rob Kelly, uh, those two do the Aquaman and Firestorm podcast, along with the Who's Who, plus a billion others. Michael Bailey of uh, the Superman uh, from Crisis to Crisis podcast. Ryan Daly, uh, one of my co-hosts over on the G.I. Joe, a real record headcast. Justin Fercor, I'm probably screwing your name up, buddy. Sorry about that. He's got a site called DC in the 80s. It's a website. It's a great site. He's posted some of my stuff on there. Good guy. Uh, M. Anthony Gerardo, who's the moderator. and He started the Unite DC Comics project, along with several other DC and Marvel-related uh, Facebook pages. And all the other bloggers and Facebookers and podcasters, especially, that are out there. Uh, so, the, like I said, those are the, the priests, the reverends. The, we're, the, we're the ones that spread the word to people that minister, that give healing, that give, you know, that, that give our prayer with people, if you will. And from there, we move on to the, the next grouping, which is the fans. Uh, that would be the people, that, you know, your, your congregation, the, the average person. It's the readers of the comic books, the viewers of the TV, the watchers of movies, the, the readers of books. Whether you've been a fan since the beginning of time, or if you started in the 80s, uh, such as myself, which is, as I said before, my golden age, or even if you're new to the genre. Whether you're young, you're old, whether you like the comics, just the CW shows, maybe you like just the Marvel movies, or like myself, you like the whole shebang. Uh, whether you know, I, I enjoy the TV shows, the movies, the comics, all of all the multimedia, the novels. As much as I may gripe about some of this, I, I love it. As I've said before, there's a great time to be a geek. Uh, but no matter where you fit in, if, if you fit in any of those categories, you too feed into the gods of comics. And if you're listening to this podcast, uh, especially in my other ones, but if you listen to this one, you too are part of the fan base that helps feed the, uh, the comic gods, if you will. You help keep their memories alive. Anyone that invests times in the art, anyone that helps that helps keeps the religion alive. And like uh, a lot, lot of time and story-wise, the Greek gods and all these ancient gods of the past, uh, stories always say that you know when people stop believing, the gods lose their power, they fade away. And that's how they explain why these gods and what have you aren't around nowadays is because people stop believing and. The people's belief is what feeds or powers these beings. Same way with comics. If you guys were to stop reading, buying, watching, whatever, any of this stuff, if everyone was to stop doing that, then the comic books would fade away, the movies would fade away. All this would leave us, and it would lose its power. But as long as you guys invest time and money... You buy the comics, you buy the movies, you go to the movies, you, you watch the TV shows, you buy the novels, you buy all this merchandise that's out there. That feeds the, the power that gives these gods of comics more power and more life. And then briefly, again, I may be jumping around a little bit here, but 
my podcast and I can do what I want. <laughs> uh, going back to the podcasters and bloggers, uh, most of us have a certain level of comic knowledge. Some are very intense and have a great big knowledge, and some have minor knowledge and are slowly growing that. But all of us priests and reverends and whatever you want, to, wherever you want to call us, a lot of us take it into another notch where uh, we have a, a certain area of knowledge, which is our expertise, uh, where we're devoted to. Myself, it's G.I. Joe, the Suicide Squad, also Firestorm and the Atom. Uh, the Irredeemable Shag upholds Firestorm, Dr. Fate, Blue Devil. Rob worships at the uh, watery shrine of Aquaman. Bailey falls upon the Superman shrine. And yes, these guys have other characters they love and that they, they worship. I know personally I've talked with Shag and he's also a big Aquaman fan. Uh, but the ones that, characters I named are the ones that I really know them really about. So, But then we go on. And we've also got some newer podcasters, some newer, some newer priests, if you will, that's learning and they're wanting to know more about them. Such as Andy B. over on the Flash podcast. I know he himself has said he's a, he's a newer devotee, if you will, to the form and to the character. But he's, he's slowly learning more about it and becoming a, uh, a podcasting priest himself, if you will. But uh, anyways, but when we do our podcasts or post our blogs, post our Facebook groups or whatever, uh, we're preaching to our congregation. Some of us, like myself, only have a handful of the faithful, like most of the churches I went to growing up. Others, like the Fire and Water podcast, and I'm sure Bailey's podcast, have many, 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 many more uh, parishioners uh, filling their pews. But whether we're talking to the, the few or the synagogue's full, we do our part to impart comic knowledge love and lore and then there's those that's new or newer to comics and the, the genre and genre genre in general they come to us preachers ministers however you want to refer to us for guidance and understanding of the good books and that that is our holy mission to make sure that we pass on these stories and pass all these legends on to other people to help people understand the origins, the mystery, the, the love that we have for this comic medium. And it is our holy, I said our holy mission, to make sure we pass these stories and these legends on. Uh, help bring in a new generation, other fans that love these comics, and, and the ones that we do have, to help them, like I said, to nourish their mind and their spirits of comic book knowledge. And when people need or have questions about the movies, the comics, the whatever it may be, the TV shows. It is our, our holy responsibility, if you will, to answer those questions and to, to help these people become bigger and better fans. Now, what does all this mean in the scheme of things and life and all this? Honestly, nothing. I'm a 46, almost a 47-year-old comic geek been reading comics for uh, over 20 years and uh, actually more than that over half my life I've been reading comics I've been a fan of the comic genre all my life uh, so again it's just my thoughts on this matter uh, just as I was witnessing to young William at work 
here not too long ago. Uh, see, these are some of the thoughts that ran through my mind. Uh, thanks a lot for this, William. Not only did he give me something to post on Facebook about, it gave me something to blab about on my podcast. But uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, comics, they're, they're great. They, they help kids learn to read. I don't know. Just go read a comic and make sure to visit, you know, your local church of comics, whether it's one of my podcasts or one of the many others out there. Uh, check them out. But I guess that's really all I got to say about it this time. I may come up with some more. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on it? Let me know. You can email me at preachon at headspeaks.com. Let me know your thoughts on it and your feelings and uh, if I made any sense or if I was babbling insane ramblings of a madman. Uh, whatever you may think. But that'll do it for now. Hang tight. I'm going to spread the word about some of my fellow uh, priests. Play some of their promos for some of their, their, their sermons they're giving. And we'll be right back with uh, more of Head Speaks. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. response is unequivocal drop dead first strike the invasion podcast takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire invasion dc comics crossover issue by issue tie-in by tie-in join bass and siscoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on itunes first strike the invasion podcast a proud member of the fire and water podcast network remember Melbourne. Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International Blahaha Podcast coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? it and now back to Head Speaks. And now it's time for. With head. 
I really need to work on the intro still. Anyways, at the movies ahead. This month, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, basically an update on the current TV shows that I'm watching, I'm not watching, what I'm thinking about them. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. Let's go ahead and go off the easiest ones to talk about first. Uh, we have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm currently not watching. It's not that I don't care for it. It's just with everything else going on, all the shows I'm watching, trying to do my podcast, working, reading comics, the kids, and everything else, I, I don't have time for everything. And again, I'm more, as I've always said, more of a DC fanboy. S.H.I.E.L.D. is on the outskirts, so I'm not really following that right now. I've got the last half of last season and all of this season on my DVR to watch. Uh, that and I, I was watching with my son, and it's hard for us both to get together at the same time. So I told him for right now, go ahead and watch it, and I'll catch it on my Fire Stick later on. Though I am somewhat excited to see uh, Ghost Rider appearing, even though I'm not a fan of this Ghost Rider. I like the originals, the original couple of Ghost Riders. I haven't really followed this uh, guy with the car. The artwork just looks too, I don't know, too... I can't think of the right word I'm looking for. I'm not... Uh, I don't know. Anyways, I'm looking forward to watching Agent Chill at some point and get caught back up. But right now I'm behind on it, so I'm not really going to comment anything further on Agent Shield. And the same with Agent Carter. Uh, again, I missed this last season of it just because of time, and I don't have enough t time to watch all the shows I've got on my DVR. Uh, I've got a DVR that I plan on watching at some point, and when I do, I'll comment then. Moving on, and then there's the Netflix shows. I'm halfway through the second season of Daredevil. I'm really enjoying that. It's just, again, a matter of time, waiting for my 22-year-old uh, son to be able to watch it with me. And my 8-year-old daughter's not in the room, because that's not a show for kids. But I'm enjoying what I've seen so far. Uh, I forget his name, Berthal or whatever. Uh, the guy that was Shane in Walking Dead plays Punisher. I think he's doing a really good job. I'm liking what I'm seeing so far, so I can't wait to finish that. The rest of the Netflix show I haven't seen yet. I haven't seen uh, Luke Cage or Jessica Jones, so I'm not going to really make any comments about them yet. Uh, I talked about the guy that was uh, plays the Punisher on Daredevil, was from Walking Dead. Let's move on to Walking Dead. I'm still enjoying the show. I realize it's very much gratuitous violence for gratuitous violence's sake. But, and a lot of people say it has nothing else to offer besides that, and they don't like it anymore. They don't like Negan because he's too sadistic and is just killing people just for the gore's sake. Yes, it's part of that, but I think it also, to me anyways, it can show when the world goes bad or when you know, all hell breaks loose, some people step up and they take responsibility, they do the right thing. Others let the power go to their head and they become Negan or Negan-like. I'm enjoying Walking Dead. I think the graphics is great. I'm enjoying the story. Uh, again, if you haven't seen Walking Dead, I definitely recommend it. It's a good show. And then moving on to the CW Network. Uh, where do we start with that? Uh, there's four shows on there right now. There's Legends Tomorrow, Arrow, Flash, and Supergirl. Let's go in reverse order of when they're on. Let's start with... Uh, 
Thursday nights, they have Legends Tomorrow. Uh, I was talking to uh, one of my disciples, Will, at work the other day. That's been a little while here. And we was talking about Legends Tomorrow, and I told him, he was asking me what I thought about it. And I'm like, well, on paper, Legends Tomorrow is the perfect show. That should be my most favorite show. I love time travel. Firestorm and the Atom are my favorite heroes. I enjoy Rip Hunter. So on paper, and again, I love Quantum Leap. I love Voyager. I love people going through time, writing what once went wrong and all that. So on paper, Legends Tomorrow should be my most favorite show of all time. But the way they're doing it, it's not my favorite show. Uh, first of all, they had Rip Hunter before he was killed off, in quotes. Before they got rid of him off the show for now. Uh, was played by Rory, I forget his real name, from Doctor Who. A British guy. Again, in my, in, from everything I've ever, ever read, uh, Rip Hunter always comes across as a, an American. So that, that kind of bothers me. I, just, I don't... Like, I don't think Roy does an okay job, but it's not Rip Hunter to me. Uh, there is some good parts, but let's continue with that. I don't like about it. Why it's not my favorite. Uh, the time travel storylines aren't bad. But we're moving on to containing my, two of my favorite heroes. you got Firestorm and the Atom. The Atom, Brandon Roth, uh, he does a decent job as the Atom. I can't really blame his acting so much. It's the way they write him, and uh, he's got that god-awful Iron Man wannabe costume. The Atom's a hero that shrinks down. That's his power. On the show, he shrinks occasionally, but he normally flies around shooting energy blasts, very much Iron Man-like. So to me, they're kind of ruining the Atom there. I say they have him shrink down once in a while, but not again, not often enough, and not he's not doing it in interesting ways like... Uh, the comic Adam does. And then you have Firestorm. They got rid of Ronnie, Ronnie Raymond component of Firestorm, who's played Robbie Amell. I, from what I understand, it was Robbie's choice. He wants to go do movies and not stick to TV. And they replaced him with uh, a young black kid named Jefferson Jackson, who they call Jax. Uh, Jefferson Jackson was from the comics. He was Ronnie's best friend when Firestorm, the comic, started. But he didn't really have any involvement with Firestorm. In fact, he remember he kind of faded away in the comics pretty quick. But I personally would have uh, preferred if they did want to change it and have a black kid, if they would have used Jason Rush, who was Firestorm in the comic, and they'd showed Jason Rush in the in the show. But they could have also kept Ronnie. Uh, spoilers for the previous season of F Flash. Uh, Firestorm flew up into a, uh, a vortex that was destroying the world, and he tried to close it, and in doing so, Ronnie sacrificed himself. They could have had Ronnie Creek constitute and have a new actor play him, and kept him around that way, but anyways, then Firestorm moved over to Legends Tomorrow, and so they've got a costume similar to what Firestorm wears in the comics, a little more than what it used to be. <sighs> My main problem with Firestorm on Legends Tomorrow is they don't use him enough and like they should. Uh, when he does show up, he flies around and shoots fire, which isn't Firestorm. Well, he was, it was a stick a little bit at the end of the Firestorm run when he came to the fire elemental. 
when he first showed up with Roddy Raymond being part of Firestorm, he was shooting the fire. I thought it was a nuclear blast at first, and I'm like, oh, that's not bad. And I was hoping they'd give him the atomic restructuring, because that's Firestorm's main power. And they've done it like once or twice. <sighs> not nearly enough. Again, he flies around, shoots energy or fire blasts at people. So they're really mishandling, in my opinion, both Firestorm and Adam. Uh, recently, uh, there can be some spoilers, I guess, for recent episodes. Recently, in, in Legends Tomorrow, Firestorm. Sorry, try that again. The Adam suit was uh, stolen and destroyed. I was hoping maybe they're going to take the chance then to change it from that big metal suit to a belt that allows him to shrink. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. It looks like in the crossover, which I'm in the middle of on CW, they rebuilt the Adam costume, what it looks like, which I'm really disappointed in. I was hoping they would use that to... Uh, I don't know. I was hoping they would use that as an opportunity to actually return him to more of a Adam costume instead of this wannabe Iron Man suit. But Legends of Marvel overall is okay. Uh, again, it's not my favorite show. Uh, it's probably the top three for the CW shows. And there's really four shows. It takes work on ranks. Uh, moving on to the show that is at number four, I think. But it's slowly moving its way up with some of the stuff they're doing. Is Arrow. Arrow has had some hit and misses. Uh, the second season, it got real... Uh, actually, the first season started out real CWE drama drummy, drummy Very, you know, relationship-oriented. A lot of people turned off. I stayed tuned because I'm a sucker for pain like that. And overall, the, over this last season or so, it's gotten a little better. It's a decent show. Uh, the things I'm really liking right now is that in the show, they've introduced Wild Dog, who's a hero from the comics. And... The Wild Dog costume looks pretty pretty close to what it is in the comic. My only complaint is they changed it from a white guy to an Hispanic kid. Uh, God forbid, you know, they haven't even white in the show anymore. Everything's got to be changed. Multicultural. They can't create their own heroes or use it. Never mind, I'm starting on the wrong tangent here. Uh, uh, but they've also introduced uh, Vigilante, who was a, a character I, I met. I was introduced to by a friend of mine. I went back and picked up his entire run. He had a 50-issue run. It was started by Marv Wolfman, one of the masters, who I talked about earlier. And uh, it was picked up about issues 20 or 30 or so. Uh, Marv left, and Paul Kupperberg, who I talked with over on my Task Force X podcast a while back, he picked it up and he finished the series off. And The Vigilante was kind of DC's uh, answer to The Punisher, except for he was more realistic. And I'm doing realistic in air quotes. Again, I hate when they use realistic referring to comics because that's why you read comics for the non-realism of it, for the superheroes, the men that can fly and all that. But the Vigilante was kind of a realistic look at uh, uh, superheroes. And they didn't have, especially when Paul took over, he said he didn't want to use very much of the DC Universe, of the actual heroes. He wanted to keep it as much self-contained as he could. In the 50-issue run, uh, the original Vigilante was Adrian Chase. 
was a blonde guy who lost. He was a DA who lost his family to attack. He first showed up in the Teen Titans uh, annual. Went on to become the vigilante and had his own series. Over the, as I was saying, over the course of the fifty issues, Adrian quit being vigilante, and two or three different people took up the title, and they all died. So eventually, Adrian took the mantle of vigilante back up, saying, think, saying that whenever I quit, someone else does this and they die. The only way to keep people from dying from doing this is if I stay the vigilante. And in issue 50, which I talked about, like I mentioned in an earlier episode of Head Speaks, uh, if you missed that one, if you didn't read the series, spoiler alert, in the 50th issue of uh, Vigilante, being vid- a vigilante, killing people, got too much for Adrian, and he ended up nibbling on the end of his gun. Uh, he committed suicide. So... Again, it was a 50-issue series that he ended, you know, and again, when I talked to Paul about it, he said that he thought that was the most logical conclusion for someone that does something like this. And I agree. It was very, again, for a realistic look, it was a very good book. Uh, but I'm getting off topic a little bit. We're talking about the CW shows. They've had Vigilante. He's a DA. My only complaint is that he's dark-haired instead of blonde. It seems like... They, they want to avoid having any blonde characters. I mean, Flash isn't blonde. Always not so much blonde. Adrian's not blonde. Uh, the only blonde I can think of is Felicity Smoke, who in the comic was a dark-haired gal. Uh, go figure. Anyways. But overall, I'm, in, I'm enjoying Arrow. I'm enjoying Wildcat. I'm loving what they're doing with Vigilante so far. I can't wait to see more of it. The rest of the shows, it's alright. It's not bad. At this point, I'm waiting for them to change the name of the show from uh, Arrow to Arrow and the Outsiders or something. <laughs> and then move over to the other CW show, uh, The Flash. Uh, the Flash, in my opinion, is one of the best shows on TV. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Again, I would like it better if, if Barry was actually a blonde like he is in the comics. I know that's more nitpicking, but also I'm not a big fan of the, the Black West family. I, I would prefer if Wests were white like in the, the actual comics. Though in the new 52, they've introduced a Black Wally, which kind of it, it kind of irritates me, but it is what it is. But Flash, again, I'm really enjoying it. A lot of time travel, a lot of alternate realities, a lot of uh, multiple Earths. Uh, the Flash, in my opinion, is one of the closest comic book adaptations for TV shows you're going to find. Uh, I'm really enjoying what uh, Grant Gustin is doing as Barry Allen. I really like the fact that they brought uh, John Wesley Shipp, who played Flash in the 90s show, back in. Uh, first he appeared in the first season. And again, this can be some spoilers for the Flash TV show. Uh, if you're not caught up, you may want to avoid the next few minutes. But they brought you know, John Wesley Shipp in to play Barry Allen's father, and then here in the last season or so, they reintroduced him as playing Jay Garrick, the Golden Age Flash on Earth 2, in both the comics and the show. So I thought that was a nice touch that they had the, the guy who played the Flash on the TV, on the earlier TV show, play the Golden Age Flash. So that was a nice touch, and it was really, really nice. I liked that. And again, John Wesley's ship is doing a great job as the Golden Age Flash. But the whole cast on that show does a magnificent job. 
I'm enjoying Cisco. He uh, a, bit, a bit different than he was when he came was in the comics uh, when he debuted back in the late '80s. Again, it's a little bit of a different character. Uh, he is a bit more in line with the the modern, the new Fifty Two version of Cisco. A vibe. Uh, again, Killer Frost. I am waiting for it to become Killer Frost full time. I don't know if they'll do that since everyone likes Panda Baker's the actress. They think she's you know she's she's an adorable gal. I, I don't know if they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna go full time Killer Frost with her. And that's one of my again a minor little nitpick just because I'm a fan of the Firestorm comic and Killer Frost is a Firestorm villain so. But again, Flash, definitely recommend it still. I've enjoyed it overall for the last three years, and I'm still enjoying it. I definitely recommend it to people. Uh, one of my buddies at work's watching it. He's watching it on uh, Hulu or somewhere after the fact. He just finished season two. I had to help. Again, from my earlier conversation about uh, being a religion, I had to minister to the young man and help him understand the, the ending of the season with all the time travel and alternate realities and what have you. But again, great show. I definitely recommend it. And finally, the last show I think I'm going to talk about today is uh, Supergirl. She started off over on CBS uh, for one season, was canceled, and the CW picked her up for the second season. Again, I've talked about her briefly. Again, overall, I'm enjoying Supergirl. Uh, some of the good things from Supergirl. Uh, I think Melissa Benoist is doing a great job as Supergirl. As I've said previously, I'm sure I've said this previously. If not, I'm, I've said it somewhere. I, I wish she was more of a blonde. Uh, she's kind of a strawberry blonde on the show. Some some scenes she looks more blonde than others. Uh, but she's not a blonde like I would like. But uh, what do I know? Uh, but as far as Melissa Benoist, she's doing a good job at playing Kara. It's Kara, not Kara. Uh, <laughs> uh, Supergirl. Uh, she's got an innocence, a charm about her that brings a lot to the role. Superman showed up this season for a couple times, first couple episodes. Again, uh, when I first saw the pictures of the guy playing Superman, I was like, eh, I don't know, his face looks a little odd. But when I saw him on the show, I, I was thoroughly impressed. It looks a little on the youngish side, but much better than, again, nothing against... The movies, The Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, completely different directions are going. I, I don't want to, I'm not comparing their acting ability because Henry Cavill's doing a fine job with what they're giving him. I, I like the direction that CW's going better. Uh, the Superman smiled more, he was more, kids came up and you know, he, he went more friendly with the kids. He seemed more affable than, than uh, Henry Cavill's character. And his costume was. Uh, a brighter blue to me. It was it wasn't as dank and dark as uh, Henry Cavill's was. Overall, I really liked uh, Superman when he showed up on Supergirl. Thought he did a really good job, and I thought the direction that CW went was much better than what the uh, WB studio is <coughs> doing. Move on to another good character, Martian Manhunter. Uh, I've always been a fan of Martian Manhunter. When he first showed up as just Hank Henshaw as a black guy, again, as I've commented elsewhere before, I'm not a fan when they switch characters' races just for the hell of it. So I don't care for Hank Henshaw being black, but Martian Manhunter I have no problem with. Uh, 
I, I think they do a really good job with when he's the Martian Manhunter. My only concern, problem, or whatever is that there's been times, and I know why, but there's been times when he loses his powers or gets knocked out or whatever, and you would think he would revert back to Martian Manhunter, but he stays as Hank Henshaw. And I know why, it's just because of budget. It costs more to do the Manhunter than it does have the actor on stage or on screen. So I know why. It's just a little bit of a, a nitpick. But at times, when he should revert back to his Martian Manhunter form, he doesn't. But other than that small little quibble, I think David Harewood's doing a good job, if not a great job, as the Martian Manhunter. I, I just think it's kind of funny that every time they have Martian Manhunter in live action, uh, he's a black guy here over in Smallville. And I understand why, because the Martian Manhunter himself is a green alien. So this is one character that you can change his race of and not really affect anything. Because he normally in the comics, from what I usually see, he's normally a white guy. But he has been black. He can be whatever race he wants to. So I, I think it's interesting. And it's, well, you know, I, I don't mind it at all. Uh, speaking of Martian Manhunter, moving on to other Martians on the show, we have the newest Martian, uh, Miss Martian, a.k.a. Megan, or McGann. I'm only somewhat familiar with her from the comics. I know that she is a white Martian, so that part's pretty accurate. And the gal that plays her on the show, uh, her name's Sharon Leal. Actually, I guess I was looking her on uh, Wikipedia. I guess she was in uh, Boston Public, a TV show I used to watch. I remember from there, I knew she looked familiar. Borrowing a line from my online buddy and fellow podcaster, the irredeemable shag, uh, Sharon is hot. But besides that, she's doing a good job as Miss Martian so far. I like the, the fact when she first showed up, against spoilers for the show, Supergirl, when she first showed up, she was telling the story about how this white Martian helped her escape from Mars and da-da-da-da. And I was wondering then if that's what they were going for, that she was actually the white Martian that tried helping a green Martian escape, which turned out that's what happened. Uh, but again, yeah, Sharon Leal, she's doing a great job as Miss Martian. I uh, can't wait to see more of her. I'm going to leave any other comments alone on that. <laughs> uh, and moving on from there, we've talked about the good characters. Uh, moving on to the bad characters. Again, other good characters like Wynn, but I'm not going to touch much on him. I've talked about him previously. Like Wynn's a pretty good character. My only problem with Wynn is that he should have been, in my opinion, Jimmy Olsen. Uh, which, hey, that's a nice segue, Brotherhead. Moving on to the bad characters, in my opinion. Starting off with James, I'm a grown man, Olsen. Oh, my God. I, I hate that they've changed him to a black guy. I hate that he's a, a good-looking, athletic, tall guy. I just... That's not Jimmy Olsen. I don't care if it's a grown-up Jimmy Olsen. I hate the, It just... That character annoys the living out of me. Partly due to the fact that they changed him to a black guy. Partly the fact, as I said, that he's now uh, an athletic, good-looking, non-Jimmy Olsen character. Uh, again, as I said, me and my wife said the same thing. That the guy that plays Jane or Wynn would be a much better choice for Jimmy Olsen. In fact, they could have had this guy play Wynn. I mean, because again, Wynn's made up for the show. Uh, yes, Toy Man is who's Wynn's dad. 
is a white guy, but again, in the comics, I've never seen him with a woman, with a wife, so he could have married a black, or been with a black woman that had a black son. Well, to me, it would have been much more palatable and better, better than what they're doing with James Olsen. And the fact that they're turning him into the Guardian, which is another just knock on it. The Guardian's costume's horrible. Uh, Jimmy Olsen is not the Guardian. That's a whole other character. It's just wrong, wrong. I mean, Jimmy Olsen's had so many different identities over the years and powers. They could have gone anywhere, and they chose to do this. Wrong, 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 wrong. But enough about James Olsen. Let's move on to another character that I, I don't like. Snapper Carr. Snapper Carr is from the Just, Justice League comics. He was the young teenage sidekick of the superheroes. The, the entry point for the young readers. Uh, in fact, the CW is notorious for taking older characters and youngifying them. Putting younger actors to play them. This was a perfect opportunity to have a young character. And they give us an old, disgruntled, pissy man. I don't mind that actor, but again, he's not Snapper Carr. Again, he's an older, much, much older Snapper Carr, which I, I don't care for. I, I don't like... Maybe this is Snapper Carr's dad. Maybe he went by Snapper also. I forget his first name, but... Uh, yeah, just horrible casting, horrible choice, horrible characterization. This is not Snapper Carr. I disapprove of this. And finally, Maggie Sawyer. Maggie Sawyer was from the Superman comics. She was a, uh, I believe, a detective that ended up leading the uh, special crimes unit, if I'm not mistaken, is how she went. I think she eventually she ended up over in Gotham. But uh, Gotham City, not the TV show. In the comics, we find out that she's uh, gay. In the show, she's gay. I'm, I'm fine with that. But again, in the comics, she's a, uh, a white woman. Here, they've changed her into... Some of the race, I'm not sure. I'm terrible picking out races a lot of times. But, and again, a lot of people say, well, race shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter if she's white or not. And, uh, again, I have problems with that argument. Because, again, when I when you take a character and adapt him to a TV show or a movie or whatever, I like to see that character I'm, I'm familiar with. But that whole thing about the race shouldn't matter, it doesn't matter what race they are, that fails to hold water when, on the show, they bring up the point that she's not white. Uh, when she was talking with uh, Supergirl's sister, Alex, for a minute, when she was talking to Alex, she makes a point about, you know, being a gay, non-white person. And they did the same thing with James Olsen. He made a comment early on about being a black guy. And... Again, you can't say, well, race doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter about race. When the characters themselves are bringing up the race issue on the show. It's just wrong-headed. It's just, I don't know, it's just stupid in my opinion. Uh, again, those are my the characters I have problems with and why. And again, a lot of it is just because I'm an old white guy that's disgruntled. But <laughs> that's my thoughts. Uh, and that's what I think about Supergirl. And that's most of the, the cartoon or comic book shows that's on TV right now. Uh, I've been talking here for a little while. I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're going to take another break. And we'll be right back. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages.
Hi, gang. It's Adam Worth from the Bad Advice Show, and it's official. Critics, fellow podcasters, and fans alike have voted, and the Bad Advice Show has won the 2016 award for Best New Podcast. Detractors called us the most dangerous show in podcasting, but thanks to you, the fans, this little podcast that could has shown them all. To help celebrate, our podcasting colleagues from around the world have sent us in congratulatory messages, like this gem from Aaron the Head Moss of the Head Speaks Network. Yeah, I enjoy listening to the Bad Advice Podcast when I'm going to the bathroom. Because, you know, when in Rome. But wait, there's more. This is Ryan Daly from the Secret Origins Podcast. My ex-wife's divorce attorney calls the Bad Advice Show a gold mine. And still others have sent contributions in to show their reverence. So we're going to record the next episode of the Negative One Podcast in a second, right, Matt? Yeah. All right. Um, did you hear that we got a new podcast on the network? No, I heard that we, we just adopted some bullshit that no one's going to listen to. Yeah, it sounds about right. It's called The Bad Advice Show, and it, it really is shit. Is it a bad, is it a bad, bad advice show show? Bad, bad advice show show. Do I have to? Yes! Hello, this is Gene Hendricks from the Two True Freaks Network. Louder and more natural! <laughs> I would just like to tell everyone that the Bad Advice Show is a wonderful podcast, and everyone should listen to it. Can I my dog back now? You can find the Bad Advice Show wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. So search for us and subscribe now so that you too can say, I was into the Bad Advice Show before it went mainstream. The Bad Advice Show is a great podcast, as long as you hate yourself. He has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside for when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do, I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on thelongboxcrusade.com and check out the Facebook page. Read them all, my friends. And now back to Head Speaks. Now, let's move on to our next section and continue our further adventures of the Atom. Here is... Faster than a speeding bullet. In the great hall of the Justice League. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is... What's in Ed Longbox? Dedicated to truth. 
justice and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. As I said, I'm going to continue on with my Adventures of the Atom. The last three episodes, or four episodes, I've been talking about the Sword of the Atom miniseries. At the end of the last issue, Ray Palmer rejoined civilization. Uh, Gene Loring found him in uh, Brazil or whatever it was, South American, South America, and brought him back to America. Uh, the next time we see Ray Palmer is over in Just League of America, issues 225 through 227. I'm going to cover all three of those issues this episode. And I'll get to my thoughts on that in just a minute here. Let's go ahead and start with the uh, actual information on the comics themselves. Just League America 225 was cover dated April of 1984, but again, to buy it fresh off the newsstand, it came out January the 5th of 1984. The price was 75 cents. Editor of this issue was Alan Gold. The title was Let There Be Light. Writer was Joey Calaveri. The plotter slash penciler was Chuck Patton. Inker was Pablo Marcos. Letterer, Bob Oda. Colorist, Gene D'Angelo. Penciler, Chuck Patton. Inker was Sal Amadello. And instead of like I normally do my shows, I give the uh, creator information. I review the issue. I do the second issue, creator information, and then the review of the issue and so forth. I'm going to read off all three issues, creator credits right now. Uh, that might make my snide remarks of an E2. <laughs> And then once I'm done, I'll go ahead and do a review of the story, or give a synopsis of the story, and then my thoughts on it. Uh, so that was the first issue. The second issue, which was 226. Again, this one had a cover date of May of 1984, but this one was on sale February the 2nd of 1984. Again, the price was 75 cents. Still edited by Alan Gold. The title on this one was Hell on Earth. Writer was still Joey Calaveri. Pencil was Chuck Patton. Inker was Frank McLaughlin. The letterer was Philip Hugh Felix. And the colorist was Gene D'Angelo. And for issue 227, that came out. Again, cover dated was June of 1984. On sale date was March of 84. March 8th of 84, sorry. The cover price was still 75 cents. Still edited by Alan. The title was Dragon Keep. And again, the writer was Joey Calaveri. The penciler was Chuck Patton. Inker was Mark Alexander. Letter was still Philip Hugh Felix. And the colorist was still Gene D'Angelo. And the cover credits, I forgot to notate the first one. The second issue, 226, was penciled by Rox. The cover was penciled by Ross Andrew and inked by Dick Giordano. And this last issue was penciled by Chuck Patton and inked by Romeo Tangala. Uh, one reason I, I threw all this into one time instead of separating it is so I make my comments. At this time, the Just League of America was being written by uh, some great man. I forget his name now. He created some character. What was that guy's? He created some character that I just heard about before. Flaming Head. Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, this act. This time, the Just League was normally being written by Jerry Conway, the creator of Firestorm. Again, as I've said previous episodes, and I'll say again, one of my favorite characters. So Jerry Conway is one of my favorite creators just because of that. Sadly, and again, no offense to Joey Calaveri, 
But sadly, for my instance, these three issues was not written by the great Jerry Conway. He would come back the next issue and carry on. But these three issues uh, was guest written by Joey Calaveri. Again, no offense to Joey, but being a Jerry Conway fan, uh, have him having created Firestorm, I would really hope that I would have gotten to read a Jerry Conway joint. But he didn't write it, so let's go ahead and move on. Let's go and do the synopsis. I'm going to do the synopsis for all three issues, and then I'll go through and give my thoughts on them. As I said, at the story of the Atom number four, uh, he had been located. Someone found him in the South American jungles, brought him civilization, and we left him walking out of the, his room where awaits Gene Loring. He's vowing he's going to find his princess, Lawson, and return to the jungles at some point in the future. After he takes care of some business at home. Uh, so we find ourselves starting this issue with Ray Palmer returning to Ivy University and teaching. As he enters the physics lab, he finds a group of men that shouldn't be there standing around in a glowing box. Uh, maybe it holds Marcellus Wallace's soul. I don't know. Uh, the men rough Ray up and throw him through a window, allowing the atom to show up and start kicking butt until one of them gets the drop on the atom from behind with a beaker. Most of the men leave with the case. Again, I made a joke from Pulp Fiction reference that it was Marcellus Wallace's soul. It's actually something called Luciferace. Luciferace? Luciferace, let's call it that. Uh, one of them that was left behind starts smoking, and then he starts melting. Needing help, Ray decides to call in the Justice League. Uh, Hawkman and Hawkwoman, or she may be Hawkgirl at this time, Green Arrow and Black Canary, we're having dinner together, report to the Justice League satellite, which is orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth, and they meet up with Ray Palmer and Zantana. Ray informs the team that the Luciferase is a substance that he's been working on that is an independent and cold source of light. Ray says that the thieves had a tattoo on their hand that Z recognizes as a Fiat Lux. Hawkman and Adam team up once again to find Luciferace, while Z fills the rest of the group in on the Felix. Again, I say once again because Hawkman and the Atom, uh, back in the, uh, what was it, the 60s, the Atom had his own series for a while. I don't think cells were doing so well, so eventually they teamed him up and the title became Hawkman and the Atom, or was it the Atom and Hawkman? Anyways, they teamed up together in the book for a while. So they're back working together again. Uh, meanwhile, at the Church of Light Everlasting, uh, the Robot Men, which were the guys that stole the loose race from Ray earlier, deliver a case to Lord Gravesend, who uses Luther, who uses loose race, that's a hard word, loose race, to free a creature called Hellraiser. Not to be confused with the movie from the, when was it, the early 90s, with Pinhead called Hellraiser. Uh, at the same time, Oliver, that's Green Arrow, and the ladies arrive at the Church of Ever, try that again. They arrive at the Church of Light Everlasting, and they go inside where they and the Robot Man begin fighting. The group takes out the bad guys and arrive downstairs where they witness the arrival of Hellraiser. The second issue of this story, 226, the heroes are fighting Hellraiser and his minions and losing badly. Zantana wakes up, and she casts a spell to destroy the cauldron that brought Hellraiser to Earth. As Hellraiser escapes back to Hell, 
or wherever he came from, he takes Zantana with him. Black Canary discovers that a rift was left behind, and the League members that are here goes through to rescue their comrade-in-arms. Back on the satellite, Red Tornado and Ralph Digby, the elongated man, show up. After Ray fixes their machine, they're able to track more of the Lucer race to Fez, Morocco. The rest of the Leaguers head to Fez, where they are attacked by some goons, who they're able to chase off. Meanwhile, the Israeli Secret Service busts in on someone called Lord Arsenic and the Lords of Light. Arsenic uses the Mask of Set to kill off the Secret Service men and ascends to become something more powerful. At that moment, our leaguers arrive as Seth breaks out of the club at their end and starts fighting the Justice League. The Atom has an idea to use, uh, what is that, a disco ball? To bounce his powers back at him, causing Seth to revert to human. Uh, they question the man and find the rest of the Lucifer race is bound for the Orient. Back in Hell, Green Arrow and the ladies find Santana. She tells them that she overheard Hellraiser's spell and can replicate it to get them home. Hawkgirl thinks to herself that she knows Zantana isn't that powerful. The group gets ready to head back home to Earth as Zantana looks at the reader and gives us an evil smile. <laughs> and the story concludes in issue 227 where we start out on an island with a bunch of nut jobs wearing robes are running through a forest. The island and the animals attack the men with a large dragon creature taking the last two men to a cave where stands Lord Claw, who shall judge them. Back at the Just League satellite, the team is discussing the Lucifer race, and Adam tells them how it's being used as an occult catalyst. Hawkman tells them that they are getting strong readings in Japan. Back in hell, as Antenna opens a gate to get them out, or sorry, a portal to get them out, Hawkgirl thinks more and more about how something just doesn't seem right with Zatanna. As the heroes back on Earth track the Lucifer race, they're attacked by a squadron of dragons, which forced them down to the island from earlier that we saw. We then get the origin story of Lord Claw, where we learn that he was a genetic scientist that created the dragons. The Lucifer race is a stronger mutagen than anything he could have created. Outside, the Justice League continues fighting the dragons, with Adam taking one out himself. I had to mention that since, again, the Adam who I'm here for. Lord Claw views the end of the battle as the League wipes the floor for the dragons. Angered, he unleashes the island's full defenses. As the Earth Leaguers battle the defenses, Z and her group finally return. Seeing what's going on, Z starts taking out the island's defenses. Finally, Hellraiser has revealed that he has possessed Santana as he leaves her body, and he takes out Lord Claw and says the Earth is his. Santana, using information that was left in her mind during the possession, forces Hellraiser back to Hell, stopping him for now. The end. Now for my thoughts on the issue. Uh, before I get started, actually, let me give a little disclaimer. Again, as I said earlier, uh, I, I really a big fan of Jerry Conway. He created Firestorm. He had a, a memorable, fantastic run on the Just League book. I'm jumping here just for these three issues because of the Atom. And unfortunately for me, it wasn't written by Jerry Conway. They had a guest writer, as I said, uh, for these, these three issues. I don't know if Jerry's busy with something else. Uh, not sure what's going on at this point, but Joey Cavallari, as I said, was the writer for these three issues. Uh, and no respect to Mr. Calva Cavallari, but uh, I don't know. I, I like horror movies. I like demons and things like that. I am not a huge fan of them in comics. Uh, they're okay. 
But yeah, I'm not a huge fan. So uh, I'm going to go through these issues, my thoughts on them. So bear in mind that any a lot of negatives I may have about this is just the fact that, A, again, I'm not a big fan of demons fighting heroes. Just I don't know. I just can't get into it for some reason. And I really would have rather seen something written by uh, the great Jerry Conway. So, so I just want to give a full disclaimer before I actually start reviewing the story. Um, overall, I'll put it out on Front Street before I actually review it. It wasn't a bad storyline. Uh, again, it had a lot of odd names, so things are pronounced. Uh, or at least for me, maybe it's just me. It wasn't bad. Uh, let's go ahead and go through and get my thoughts on it, on actual issues. The first issue, issue 225, uh, the cover, as we're going to start out as always, at the top says Hellraiser is coming. It's got the Just League of America logo. Uh, so let me see, Hellraiser is coming, and he's coming to feed. And we see a hand coming out of nowhere, a bunch of boxes, and around that we have a hot girl flying in the air, twirling her mace, black canary up on her tippy toes, probably about ready to either scream or use kung fu on the hand. Zantana's using a magic blast to blast him as he grabs her cape, and Ollie is shooting it with an arrow. A decent enough cover. Um... Black Canary standing on her tippy toes on this box. I don't know if she's getting ready to leap. I'm not sure if this is a uh, mid-action scene. I'm not quite sure about that. It's a serviceable cover. Not fantastic. Not super memorable, but in my opinion. But it's not a bad cover. Uh, then we go to the story itself. Uh, we get caught up on Ray Palmer, as if you guys have been following me for the last four episodes... Uh, we've covered the Sword of the Atom, and they briefly cover that in here. Uh, one of the, uh, what's his name, Dean Carstairs is welcoming, welcoming Ray back to the school. And uh, he says, uh, as a result, we've had, uh, had that first, a few first-year gut courses to your teaching schedule. All part of the same adventure, isn't it? The shaping of young minds. And the Adam's thinking, or Ray's thinking... Adventure, he calls it. Any adventure at Ivy would pale by, beside my exploits in Morlade as the Atom. And it gives us a, uh, a little editor's note here. See the recent story of the Atom miniseries for details, as I've talked about. So I do like the fact that, you know, they show a picture of Ray in his uh, Story of the Atom costume. And again, I talked about the story in my notes, so I'm not really going to go into much detail on that. Again, we get Ray, and he's finding these guys standing over a box. I made the comment in my synopsis about it being Marcellus Wallace's soul. Uh, that's from Pulp Fiction, as I said. Again, at this point, we just see him standing around. And the, these, as I refer to them later, robot men say that one of us should have stood sentry. And again, you can tell these are robots. Again, I don't know how they actually sound, because Ray's worried about secret identity. But the way that their speech bubbles are all in boxes, that's kind of an indication that they're either robots or non-human. But again, Ray apparently doesn't realize this. So he, he's worried about a secret identity. And one of the guys punches him. And, and Ray says here that he's rolling up the punches. And he's trying to get him to push him to the window so he can make an exit. And I like here at the bottom of page two, uh, we see one panel where Ray goes flying through the glass. And the next panel, we see the robot guys 
picking up the box, getting ready to leave, and they tell us it's Luciferase. And outside the window, we see a gigantic uh, atom symbol. Basically, it's telling us the atom shrinking down. I'm sure people watching can't see this. I'm sure it's just an effect for us viewer for the readers. I know you like that. Adam jumps into the scene, and again, he's back to more of a traditional Adam outfit, except for he has his head hair exposed, uh, like his sort of the Adam costume. And again, personally, I kind of like this costume. Like I've said the last couple episodes, I enjoyed the sort of the Adam costume. Uh, I just like Ray's costume in general. Uh, I do like this costume with his hair exposed. Though I could imagine it could play havoc with a secret identity. But I do like this page. It's just a scene of Adam jumping in and, and drop kicking this guy in the head. Again, the Adam, he uses the belt to miniaturize himself, but he can control his weight. And that's something he does all the time. He, he shrieks down like an inch or two high, leaps at someone, and then uses his full weight of 100 and I think he's like 180 pounds normally and punches or kicks somebody so it knocks him down and knocks him out. Again, it's classic Ray Palmer Adam stuff here. And then we cut to the home of Carter and Shira Hall, who is Hawkman and Hawkwoman, and they're entertaining Green Arrow and Diana Lance, a.k.a. Black Canary. And again, I like this scene here where, again, it's just the superheroes outside of their ordinary superhero lives, ordinary, out of their superhero lives, having just an ordinary, just like, you know, if I have friends over at the house. Uh, they're showing, I, I like... Again, I like this. It shows that they're real people, that they're not just a costume. They actually have an outside identity. But just like people who work together, they hang out, they do uh, they do discuss work at, their, at home. But as they're talking, the subject of The Flash comes up, and basically Carter, a.k.a. Hawkman, is saying that they were discussing whether or not The Flash should stay in as a member of the League. And Oliver's like, wait a minute, are you trying to say we should have ousted the Flash? And Carter again says, well, I'm saying you should have found an alternative means of stopping Professor Zoom, as a scientist should have realized. And again, so they start arguing about their opinions on what happened with the Flash. For those that don't know, uh, again, spoiler for a 30-some-odd-year story, uh, around this time of the Flash, in the Flash comic, he was on trial for murder. Uh, a year or so before this, in the comic-wise, uh, The Flash... Well, let's back step another step. Uh, Barry Allen's The Flash. He was married to Iris West, who you may be familiar with if you watch The Flash TV show. And in the comics, uh, Professor Zoom, a.k.a. the Reverse Flash, killed Iris. Barry went on with his life, continued being a superhero. He ended up being another woman named Fiona Webb, and they were engaged to get married. Well, on the day of their, their wedding, Barry was fighting the reverse Flash, a.k.a. Professor Zoom, Eobard Thon. And Eobard wrote a message in the sand, basically saying that he was going to kill Fiona. I forget the exact wording. He was like, you know, guess who's going to kill your new wife or something like that. And so he raced off to kill her, and Flash chased after him and tried to stop him. Rising it to the courthouse... Or the, the uh, not courthouse, I'm sorry, the church where he's married at, the chapel. Uh, Barry reaches the reverse flash, and right before he can kill Fiona, 
he grabs her flash by the head and the neck and, and pulls him back to stop him and in doing so snaps his neck uh, he was arrested for the crime of murder put on trial which ran the last like two years or so of the flash comic uh, which ended in issue 350. When issue 327, which came out uh, again and covered it, was November of 83. The on sale date was August the 4th of 1983. August of 1983. And these were on sale January of 84. So almost five or six months later is when this happens. Actually, re-looking, rethinking about this, it wasn't even that long because... In issue 327, the Just League starts, they take a vote, they talk about it. But the next issue, 328, was a, uh, a filler issue, it was a, a flashback story or something. So we didn't get the actual reveal of what the Just League decides until issue 329, which came out in October of 83. So actually it was only like three months later that this story takes place. Uh, but as I was getting to, in issue 327... The Just League decides to vote whether or not the Flash should be kicked out because he killed somebody. And in issue 329, they become their decision. And if I remember correctly, again, spoilers, uh, it was a narrow margin. I think Superman cast the deciding vote. And they decided not to kick him out. But Flash decided it would probably be best for him to leave anyways. Uh, but again, this is a long story about another title. The Flash story happened after I, I'm sorry, before I started reading comics. I went back and actually, because I had the last couple of issues, so I went back and actually bought that entire like two-year run later on, individual issues. They have that story. I've heard a lot of people over the years say they didn't care for that story. And part of it may be because if you sat through it month after month for two years, it may have slogged down a little bit. Again, I went back and bought the issues later on. So I didn't have that two-plus-year wait for the story to play out. So that may be part of what why I enjoyed it more. Also, at the time, I was a pre-law student. Wanted to pre-pre-law. I was in a junior college, and I, I was considering law as a career. Uh, that didn't go that way, but that's another story entirely. And again, I'm way off topic at this point. Uh, suffice to say that at this point, uh, Ollie and Kadar, or Carter, are talking about the trial of the Flash. And apparently... Hawkman wanted, uh, and forget, I forget how they voted, how the votes went, but we can tell from here Hawkman thinks that Flash should have been kicked out, and Ollie thinks that, you know, there may be a reason why he killed Reverse Flash. Uh, but moving on, because again, I spent way too much time talking about another story during this part. <laughs> so, as I talked about in the uh, synopsis, Adam has a little fight, fight with these guys. One of them smashes him from behind with a beaker, it looks like. And they take off, leaving one of their comrades behind. And as I said, this guy starts to smoke and melt. And so this is when Ray calls in the, uh, the Justice League. Interrupting Oliver and uh, Carter's next fights. And again, we see uh, Dinah, uh, Dina, her necklace glowing where the Justice League thing's going off. And we're back aboard the Just League satellite. And as I, I again, I'm not going to go into detail here. I talked about this during the synopsis. Uh, I always liked the Just League satellite. Again, I didn't get comics until the JLI era, but I've read a lot of these backstories and older issues. So I enjoy the satellite uh, 
I, I do like also here on the satellite that Ray's got a little table, in the, a little chair in the center of the table, micro size for him. Uh, great, just a small minor nitpick. His glove is miscolored here on page eight. And actually, it's continued on a couple different panels. Uh, the first panel here, he's sitting in his chair, and his same one, yeah. His left glove is more of a yellow color, and then the next panel down below that, where they show him, the hand is still, or the glove is still, the same color. Huh? That's kind of weird. Anyways, it's odd that the same same color was taken two different panels. Someone's falling down on the job or something. But again, other than that, I say it's great artwork, though. Uh, the story's decent. Again, as I've talked about previously, I'm not a big fan of monster-type stories with my superheroes. Uh, but it's okay. And the team splits up as they want to do. And the Atom and Hawkman uh, go off together, as I commented in the synopsis. Like I said, the Atom, he had his old series. Uh, I don't think it did so well, so they wanted to mix it up a little bit. They added Hawkman to the mix, so the last dozen issues or so of the Adam series became the Adam and Hawkman. Uh, so it's kind of nice seeing them team up again for this case. And again, while they're they're going off doing their thing, uh, Oliver's with the ladies. Uh, I've got to say, Oliver's a lucky man. Got three lovely lovely ladies: a redhead, a blonde, and a brunette. You demand, Ollie. Anyways, though. But, you know, like this, or Oliver's like, how could anything be wrong? You know, he's in there being all cocky, just like he does. And Shira's like, how do you get him to shut up, Diana? And Diana's like, by force-feeding his four-alarm chili, it's the only way. Again, it's some of the Just League humor they had at the time. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Again, again, I'm not a big Green Arrow fan, but I like this Green Arrow. Uh, this is the old school Robin Hood Green Arrow. He's got the Robin Hood hat. He's got the, the little go, uh, goatee and mustache. He's got his big quiver arrows on the back. Again, a great scene. Great, just, just uh, typical Justice League storytelling here. And again, we come back to Ivy Town at the Church of the Light Everlasting. And it's always a religious thing. Uh, and this, this preacher guy his name here, man, I forget it now. Uh, again, he's doing the usual, you know, enlightenment and the doors closed. Uh, the Church of Light Everlasting illuminate every mass mystery. Gives you an all-seeing eyes. And again, there's his name, Lord, Lord Gravesend is his name. And unlike uh, most religious things you'll see, he actually starts shooting fires at, fire out of his hands and making fire circling around him. Telling everyone that they'll learn magic. And again, you can tell this comic's from the 80s. Uh, this crowd he's got here is very 80s inspired. You got guys with mohawks, and there's one guy with a mohawk. And then it comes back up and around the side. So it's like a... It's like a receding hairline that goes all the way to the back of his head. You got a gal here with a torn shirt and a star over her eye. Another gal with a patch over her eye. Again, it's a very 80s looking crowd here. Uh, and again, this is the first time I really see these guys. The previous page when we saw the crowd, a lot of them had robes on. So again, this kind of sets the, tells where the story is at. We got a black guy with uh, dreadlocks on the next page. 
Uh, we've got this one guy here on page 12. Looks a little bit like a dreadnought, a little bit. One guy, guy, white guy with glasses on, a little bit. I don't know, maybe I should mention G.I. Joe. But anyway, you carry on with the story. And uh, again, I've already talked about all this during the synopsis. I'm not really going to go into more detail on this. Again, the artwork's decent artwork in this. I mean, it's, it's, some pages with the heroes is good. These pages with this uh, Lord Gravestone or whatever, Gravesend. It's not bad artwork. He's got mystic bubbles where he's talking about, talking with, uh, uh, we don't know who these guys are. We've got this one guy looks kind of, a little bit like Morbius a little bit maybe from uh, Marvel Universe. Got long hair. I'm not sure what that is in Melvis head. If it's a giant stone or if it's a sky, I don't know. Maybe a tattoo. And actually, I think, now that I think about it, I forgot, but I think this is the uh, Lord Claw where we see here in a couple of issues. I'll touch on that just then when I get to that point. But again, so he uses his magic and he brings forth, he starts bringing forth uh, Hellraiser. And this scene kind of plays out to me a little bit like uh, Darth Vader talking with Lando Calrissian in Empire Strikes Back. The Lord, uh, preacher guy's down on the floor. He's like, no, no, you, you made a bargain. And Hellraiser's like, you know. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. No, actually, he says, I grow weary of granting boons to Delantes. Now we will see whose desires are granted. By whom? Though it would have been really cool if he would have said that altering his real part. But he didn't, anyways. And then again, we have the little fight fight that I talked about between Arrow and the gals and uh, these robot smoking guys here. And again, Green Arrow's using his, his boxing glove arrows, which I really love. I, I kind of like Green Arrow when he's using real arrows. But I, I really love Green Arrow back in this time frame when he used the boxing glove arrows and all these trick arrows. That's, that's classic Green Arrow to me. And again, here on page 18, Zantana's using some of her magic. And if you're not familiar with Zantana, to use her magic, she says the words backwards. And again, if you're a first-time reader, uh, the editor here makes a little note, you know, a little bit jumbled and jivey. Read Zantana spells backwards. <laughs> Arcane Allen. I like that. And again, not much else. They say the story ends with the middle of a fight here. And the Just League's holding their own. When they bust in and they see Hellraiser fighting uh, the wannabe Lando Calrissian, <laughs> and here Hellraiser throws uh, his minion—I don't know if he's thrown into a portal or the—I'm not quite sure. He's—he's he's gone throw him off panel. The guy's legs are on panel, but it is like from his upper torso and heads off panel. So I'm not quite. And it's like a flash. I'm not sure if he's killing him or what he's doing with this guy. But I think this is the last time. In fact, here at the bottom of page 22. Uh, we see, again, I'm not, I can't quite tell if he's trying to get up or if he's laying there dead. Uh, this guy's fate's really kind of uh, indeterminate to me at this point. And I don't think we get the, it resolved in the next issue. I think we kind of don't ever see this guy again. And again, we end on a classic cliffhanger. Hellraiser saying, you know, he's going to kill on Earth. And we get a shot of Arrow and Black Canary and Hawk Woman or Hawk Girl. And Black Canary saying, what, what can he mean? And Holly's like, I'm not exactly sure, baby, but I believe every word of it. And next issue, the Hellraiser gets angry. Uh, so that ends this issue. And then we move on to issue 226. 
Again, the cover, as always, uh, thing I like most about this is we show the atom on it. This cover, the Mad God set is loose. He can't stop killing. Front and center we have, which we assume is the Mad God set of Egyptian mythology. He's blasting some red eye beams out at the Justice League members. He's going green. Around him, you have Hawkman and Elongated Man kind of, be, kind of being thrown off. Uh, red Tornado standing front and center looking up at him. And up above him, there's a disco ball with the atom hanging onto it. This cover is not a particularly not particularly a bad cover, not one that I particularly care for though. I mean, it describes the action within. Uh, it's a decent cover. Don't get me wrong. It's just one. I don't know. Again, it's got set on it. I don't know. Just something about this doesn't particularly grab me. Uh, also, there's a slight mistake on here. The atom, as being drawn, is drawn in his traditional atom garb. But at this point, he's got his uh, sort of the Adam costume combined with his current, co his old costume. So he's got the hair flowing free, and here he's got the full face mask. And again, with Adam being small, it's hard to make out detail on him. Uh, that is the main detail I can see that is off. That again, he's got the wrong mask on. Not that I mind terribly because I really love the Adam's costume. It's just a small minor nitpick that it seems maybe uh, Ross Andrew who did this cover. Ross Andrew penciled it, and Dick Giordano inked it. I forgot to mention that in the uh, credits. But uh, I think maybe Ross maybe didn't get a full description of what the characters look like. He was told that, you know, again, I don't know for sure. I'm just guessing. He was told it probably has to have set these Just League members on it, the Adam, and he's going by the old Adam costume. Again, not that it's a, it's a big, huge deal breaker, just a minor little nitpick. And then we go on the story inside. We see uh, Hellraiser, and he's some big, flabby-looking pig, demon, tentacle creature. I mean, not particularly a bad image. Uh, very demonic-looking. He's got fire all over. Uh, very, very decent. Very decent splash page starting out the story. The demon sets the room on fire. And here on page two, uh, I like this. Green Arrow brings out a fire extinguisher arrow. And again, I love this version of Green Arrow, uh, the one that has all the trick arrows. It's it's my favorite, my version of Green Arrow. It's I, I like the, the regular arrow shooting one, but the trick shooting Ollie is the one I grew up with. It's the one I know about. And all over is all, this fire extinguisher arrow I carry around ain't just a display model. And again, the demon tells him that, you know, he ain't got enough arrows to pet it all out, basically. But again, I just, I just really love the version of uh, Oliver that carries around all the tree, you know, the boxing glove arrows, the fire extinguisher arrow, and all the handcuff arrow. <laughs> I love this version of Oliver Queen. And as I talked about in the synopsis, the heroes fight the demons. And here, again, just another comment. Here on page three, these demons are screeching, and uh, Oliver's like, Sounds worse than my scratched up 78s. And again, this is, uh, it was the early 80s. Another, there's another reference that clearly dates this story. 78s for the kids out there, our old records, uh, they play our record player. Again, you've probably seen them in, uh, movies and whatnot, but some of your parents may have old record players laying around. Oh, records a thing anymore? Maybe they make it a comeback. I, I don't know. But anyways, I just love these these references. It kind of dates it, but 
I don't know. It's you see how I grew up with this era. I, I remember these type of things. So to me, I don't know. It's kind of kind of priceless. But anyway, so the story wraps up as I said, or this this uh, fight wraps up as I said. Zantana using her backwards magic to make the cauldron crumble. Sorry, I'm trying to read it backwards. And again, I like that. There's no here uh, for those that know Zantana. Her magic works by speaking spells backwards. So whatever she says backwards happens. And again, if you're not familiar with Zantana, as you're reading this comic, there's an editor note in here that says that it reads Zantana spells backwards. It all makes sense. And again, uh, editor's notes a lot of times seem to be things of the past. I love them. When done right, they help you know fill in things from the story. Or a lot of times they'll point you to other stories that you can get back information on or fill in your gaps or whatever. So, and again, to go through the story again, uh, the Justice League takes out <clears throat> the uh, Hellraiser. They find, uh, I forget his name again, the guy that brought him over, he was killed. And they find that Zantana was taken captive by this uh, uh, creature. And uh, as I said, Black Canary finds a rift in the smoke or whatever. That takes them to hell. And instead of calling for backup, I don't know if their communicator stopped working. I missed that. I'm not seeing that. But instead of letting someone know where they went, the three Just League members, Arrow, Black Canary, and Hot Girl, uh, jump into the portal and go to hell or whatever it is. In fact, reading here on page six, Oliver mentions, you know, what do you do is walk right into whatever that is without telling the rest of the Justice League? Again, for being, I don't know, I just, I, I have some problems with the Justice League members just taking off without learning less of the League, or at least trying to. I think the story would have been better suited had they, I don't know, maybe tried to contact their fellow Justice League members. I don't know. I mean, now the whole story, this, this is where I have problems. Again, I, as I said previously, I'm not a big fan of the supernatural with comics for the most part, with superheroes. It doesn't always play out right, especially when there's logic leaps. They actually mention in the story, they should have taken, you know, I understand they're in hot pursuit, if you will, but they have their communicators. They, it seems like they could have left a word for the Justice League. So again, that part of the story gives me a little, a little problem. But let's go and move on to the rest of the story. Uh, we go to the satellites where Hawkman fills in Ralph Digby, a.k.a. the Elongated Man, and the Red Tornado, who just appeared, on what's going on, that there's a substance called Lucerase, it's self-contained energy source, and then we see the Atom in his regular post-Story of the Atom costume. Looks very similar to his original costume, except for the uh, hair showing on the top of his, out of the top of his mask. And apparently he was doing scientist work and repairing some faulty wiring within the Just Lake computer. And again, I'm not going to detail everything because I talked about it during the synopsis, but the Just Lake members track part of the chemical to Fez, Morocco. And I like this on page 9 of the story. Uh, the Just Lake members got Ralph and uh, all khakis. And then you've got the Red Tornado in a, uh, what is that, a burka? And Hawkman in robes so disguise themselves, and they get accosted by uh, half a dozen 
thugs. And they're trying to steal stuff from them. And one of the guys is like, do not make any sudden moves. And Ralph's like, uh, you mean like this? And he stretches his neck and elongates his nose and just distorts his features and scares the bejesus out of those three. I just <laughs> love that scene of Ralph just what? doing what Ralph does best. And then Red Tornado uses his cyclone powers to spin the other three around, causing them to run off. They're thinking they're gins or demons. That's <laughs> I get like a little scene there where they're the Justice League members are defeating just these ordinary goons. And as these leaguers continue their investigation, we cut to someplace called Rick's Cafe American, where the gentleman from the United Arab Republic come walking in. And again, this has nothing to do with anything else. But I'm just trying to thank the United Arab Republic. I could be mistaken. It's been a while. But I think that was the same country or area that, that made the Joker their... Uh, their uh, representative or whatever back near the end of the death of death in the family storyline which is a reoccurring uh, villain country if you will again yeah, it's got nothing to do with this story it's just a thought I had as I'm reading this again for the third or fourth time that makes me want to reread that death in the family storyline but anyways that's another story entirely uh, we get to these uh, guys from the United Arab Republic as they're being escorted down to Lord Arsenic by these robot men, if you will. And they pull out some guns and start shooting all the, these robe goons, knock down the door, and we couldn't find out, it's the as I said in the synopsis, it's the Israeli Secret Service, and they're here to stop Lord Arsenic and his plans for world domination, if you will. And Lord Arsenic runs from the guys, and here on page 12, he takes a mask of Sets. If I'm not mistaken, that's an Egyptian god. And he takes some of the Luciferase, and he pours it on the eye gems of the... That's what it looks like he's pouring it on. Oh, he's covering the whole mask, or just the eye gems. On this mask of Set, he pets it on, and it gives him power. And he's able to kill these Israeli Secret Service guys. And he says here how, you know, that it gives him power and it, he can't resist. So I think it's more than just, it may just be the power causing him to become power mad, but it also may be the, uh, the mass controlling, if you will. And then we're back in the club upstairs and we get some, again, very 80s uh, kids here dancing. We've got a guy here with a big blue mohawk, uh, sunglasses, a ripped, uh, t-shirt on dancing some girl with one of her arms wrapped up in bandages like a mummy uh, she's got very short hair she's got like a spike collar on again it's a very 80s crowd here in rick's america cafe american and again the story continues with two different stories going on we have uh this guy with power of sets destroying this club we get hellraiser fighting the just league members in hell Again, I'm not going to go into details. I mean, the rest of the story is not a bad story. It's it's very, I don't know, it's very era, this era-appropriate Just League story. We get the heroes battling a demon. Uh, here on page 17, we get the creature from the cover. We find out his name is Sets. 
he's got it's basically that guy had the mask on but now his, his body's all green as he comes up to fight the Just League members and here on the bottom of page 19 one thing I, I like about this story uh, the Adam is hiding back kind of watching all this and he realizes it once that begins his transformation there's no way to stop him and he realizes that this guy's very powerful and the best way to defeat him is his own powers because he sees a uh, mirrored, I guess it is a disco ball from inside the club. A power blast from set is it, there's a couple blasts, one hitting the wall, crumbling it, and the other blast is hitting the uh, disco ball bouncing off. So again, Ray being the genius that he is, he has the bright idea for Ralph to grab the disco ball and use that to bounce Seth's powers back to him, which causes him to lose his powers when he gets struck by his own powers. The mask flies off, Ralph catches the guy, and says he's going to jail. Uh, so again, I like the fact that the Atom shows it, not only scientific genius, but thinking, critical thinking in a fight. And it's his idea for Ralph to grab the globe and use that to block set shot. And bounce, basically bounce them back and, you know, the old saying, I'm made of rubber, you're made of glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. It kind of same thing here. Uh, the power bounced off the globe and went back and hit set and caused him to revert back to his human form. And then the story ends with the uh, Just League members that are in hell. They've found Zantana. She's strapped to a... Uh, uh, it's a good interesting rock formation. Got like claw, uh, stag, slag lights or whatever coming out the top of it, looking like teeth. One below her, and she's strapped with rocks holding her into the the, the rock. Hot girl and black canary help her down. Matter of fact, it says here that he, he, again, Oliver Queen comes in right handy. Oliver kind of narrates because it's always seen in the background is Hot Girl using something in her hand to freeze Aunt Hannah. So we have Green Arrow telling us that it's one of his uh, torch arrows to free her. So again, I like that, you know, they're using his arrows. Again, the gimmick arrows, which again, really popular at this time, this this was Green Arrow. They use that to freeze Aunt Hannah. And Zantana says that since she overheard Hellraiser's spell, she can duplicate it and that gets hot girl thinking, you know, that she's She's been around Z long enough to know that she's not quite that powerful. So she knows something's going on. And if the case the reader is not quite sure themselves, here at the end of page 23, as I said in the synopsis, as they're trying to go back to Earth, Z looks at the camera, the reader, however you want to phrase it, and gives an, an evil grin. And while I may not be a, a huge fan of the storyline just because of the general principles or whatever, I, I do like this last page here on page 23. Zantana's looking, this the way she's looking at the, the camera, you can tell just from the artwork that, you know, even if you didn't have any dialogue, you know, this next issue blurb, just the picture, you can see that there's something up with Zantana, and all is not right in Denmark. And then the next issue box, if you can't quite make out that from the artwork, you need to look at it again, because you should be able to, but the box tells us that the rest of the Just League won't feel good. When they discover Z is, hey, find out next issue. So, I don't want to say it spoils anything, because again, you can tell just from the way she's looking that 
something's up with her. But it tells you here that that she tells you that she's possessed or something's going on with her. But anyways, that's it for that issue. We're going to quickly move on to the next one, issue 227. And as usual, we start off the cover. Again, we see uh, a guy we find out on the cover is Lord Claw, riding a dragon, facing off against the might of the entire Just League gathered. Or at least the Just League we've been dealing with. And again, it's not a bad cover overall. If I'd been reading comics in uh, June of 84, actually on sale date, I think I said it was a bit older than that. I, I don't think I would have... I would have picked it up if I was a Just League reader. Just, sorry, it's not a bad cover, but... But on the merit being a uh, supernatural-type cover with a dragon, and this, this guy looks like he's got a third eye on his forehead almost. I think it's tough of hair, but almost like a huge third eye. Uh, this cover... I don't know. I'm, I've got mixed feelings on this cover. Uh, but let's go move on from the cover, because, again, I've already stated I, I'm not a huge fan of the mystical with superheroes, so this isn't an attraction for me. So uh, we move on. We've already covered the story, but as far as my thoughts on it, I, I do kind of like this. The first couple pages deals with these uh, zealots, if you will, running from their own island. I think that's a nice touch. The island is... Basically killing their own men. Uh, the dragon takes a couple back to... What's his name? Lord Claw the Falconeer. And then here on page 5 we get the uh, Just League satellite again. 22,300 miles above us. And we see the Just League in all their splendor. We get Ralph, Red Tornado, Hawkman, the Atom. Staying there on the table. And as we go along, the Just League members are headed towards the island. And they're... Just League plane gets uh, torn out of the sky by flying into a dragon. One thing I've got a small complaint here on page 7 as they go flying out. Hawkman catches Reddy, uh, the Red Tornado, by his cape, who grabs Ralph. And I believe in his hand he's got Ray. Oh, no, Ray's on top of Hawkman's shoulder, of course, where he normally is. Uh, I don't know why Red I thought Red Tornado could fly, so I'm not sure why he's not flying here, why he needs uh, Hawkman to catch him and hold him by his cape. I get a small quibble, which is maybe there's something going on I've missed, but my impression was that from what I remember, Red Tornado, he can fly, causing the whirlwind, so I don't know why he, uh, Hawkman had to capture him. And on page 8, as I talked about in the synopsis, we get uh, Lord Claw's origin, where we find out that uh, he was a scientist. Uh, he, he was working on genetic research. So it looks like he created these dragons from lizards, which is interesting. It explains where they came from. It gives it a, a scientific, if you will, a basis for these dragons, dragons existing in, in now times. Well, I say now times. In 1984 now times. And he talks about the Lucerace being an elixir for demons. Uh, it's the most powerful mutagen he's ever seen. Uh, I wonder if there's any relation to the mutagen that uh, turned the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles into the turtles. <laughs> but moving on to the next page, page 9. Again, this is one of my favorite pages in the book. Uh, we've got the Just League members uh, fighting one of the dragons. And Adam says, there's one chasing Hawkman. And Adam tells him, leave it to me, partner. It's not over yet. And Hawkman's like, surely the size of that creature. And Adam says, the Adam says, 
means nothing to me, my friend. With all these years we've worked together, you should know by now. And so he adjusts his weight, controls his whole heaviness, and he, uh, tiny little man with the full weight of his 180 pounds, whatever it is, just dumping the dragon right between the eyes, which knocks him down. Again, I love that scene. I love, and this is what I miss from the CW's uh, Legends Tomorrow with their Adam. Again, he's he shrunk, he can shrink down, but again, it's more of an armored suit, kind of like an Iron Man light, if you will. I, I wish, and I've complained about this before, I'll complain about it again. I wish they would use Ray Palmer to his full effect there. Uh, on the show, he's a rich businessman. In the comics, he's a scientist, he's a teacher. He And he can use his, his belt to shrink down, controls his weight. And this is what I want to see on the CW. Uh, they had him doing flips and shrunk down and just using his powers to the full extent. This is one thing I love about the Atom. And Lord Claw, whatever, he watches the monitors. The Just League makes short, quick work of his dragons. And like any maniacal overlord, tells his men he wants to use the full... Uh, what is it? The island's defense mechanism raised to full intensity. And again, one of, one of his underlings says, you know, it's untested, it may not work right. And instead of listening to reason... He knocks the guy aside and does it himself. And so again, the plants attack him, the volcanoes erupt. And then here we see on page uh, 13, it looks like, a red tornado flying in the air, scattering these... Oh, they, it looks like a technical, uh, a plant picked him up and he's spinning around and shredding that. And then we get Ray fighting a Venus flytrap or something, it looks like. And again, Ray being in the jungle for the last I don't know how long should be used to fighting the environment because that's kind of how he's been living for a while so I think that's kind of nice but then the, the uh, females with Green Arrow finally reappear and then we get Mr. Sinister I mean Lord Claw again it's a little bit like Mr. Sinister with that big red uh, triangle on his forehead uh, he says that the island cannot withstand the strain Again, if he would have listened to his people, he would have known this. And then here we see on page 14 and 15, Zantana start saying that the charade has run its course. And Zantana, I'm doing in quotes, uh, stops the island from attacking them. And then suddenly, uh, from out of Zantana, we see a Hellraiser coming out. Uh, the big reveal, if you will showing why Zantana was, seems more powerful than she usually is. Uh, we find out she's possessed by Hellraiser. Hellraiser leaves her body, fights Lord Claw. Uh, he ends up killing off Lord Claw. Quick little battle there. Uh, and then, so again, so the, the protagonist of this story, or the protagonist, the antagonist, the bad guy of this story, Lord Claw, gets taken out by an even badder or bigger bad guy. And so the Justice League has to take out Lord Razor or Hellraiser now. And finally Zantana is able to stop him using uh, spells and powers that was left in her from when Hellraiser possessed her. Uh, she forces him and all the demons back into their hell where they came from. And the story ends with Hellraiser it says he's going to spend the next 10,000 years plotting revenge on 
on their house. My curse upon you. And the story ends of Hot Girl saying, A curse? He must be joking. And Zanatan is like, After all you've seen, can you really believe that? And again, the next page, page 23, where it ends, uh, we get to Just Lee staying on the island beach talking. And they say they'd rather get off the paper machine mock up of an island. And Ralph, I think it is, says, I'm perfectly willing to leave cabals and counter counterplots behind. And I believe it's Hawkwoman saying, at least friend for the next 10,000 years. And on the TV show, this is where they all laugh. Ha, 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 ha. And again, the issue ends. And like I said, it's not a bad issue, this whole little story arc. I'm a little disappointed that the three-issue Just League I'm covering because of the Atom wasn't written by Jerry Conway. Uh, again, no offense to anyone else. Uh, definitely no offense attended towards uh, the writer of this, uh, Joey Cavallari. It's just that I, I'm a big Firestorm fan, as you may know. And uh, Jerry Conway created Firestorm. He wrote all these issues of Justice League, except for this three-issue story here. Which, again, I'm jumping in the middle of the Just League stories. I'm a little disappointed. Again, that's a, a sword and sorcery type story. Which, I enjoy Dungeons and Dragons. I enjoy that to an extent. But I'm not a huge... I try to, like, get into it. I, I just not a huge fan of that. So, again, I, I may give this story a short shift. But, again, I don't want you to think it's a bad story. It's just not my cup of tea. Uh, the artwork was pretty good artwork. I mean, Chuck Patton was the penciler. Uh, Mark Alexander inked this one. Uh, again, it was, it was a decent artwork. I mean, there was a few glitches here and there. But overall, it was a good story. It, again, just not up my alley. Uh, has anyone else read this? What do you guys think about the story? Let me know. You can send me an email to jla at headspeaks.com. And give me your thoughts on the story. Let me know where I'm wrong. Steer me right on this. I'm waiting for you to let me know. Uh, give me just one more minute, kids, and I'll be right back. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! <laughs> Hi, I'm Tim from Cord Industries, the Blue Beetle blog. I'm here to tell you about an exciting new addition to the Silver and Gold family of podcasts. The show is Beatlemania, and it focuses on what is arguably one of the greatest superheroes in all of comics history, Blue Beetle. From the adventures of Dan Garrett the Cop in the 1930s to Dan Garrett the Archaeologist in the 1960s, from everyone's favorite Ted Cord to the more recent adventures of Jaime Reyes, we'll be covering the entire legacy of the Blue Beetle. And I won't be doing it alone. Joining me for this epic journey through the lives of the Blue Beetle will be Jay from the Silver and Gold Podcast. Together, we'll be discussing, reviewing, and celebrating the awesomeness of all of the Beatles. Beatlemania, coming soon to SNGpod.com and cordindustries.blogspot.com. Who here likes comic books? Who likes superheroes? Who likes superhero comic books? From the 90s!
That's what I thought. Hey there, I'm Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks, and though I've always loved superheroes, the only time I was buying monthly issues was during the much maligned 1990s. I've decided to go through my personal collection, issue by issue, and in my own little way, try to answer the question, were 90s comics really that bad? Chances are the answer will be yes, but I think these books deserve another chance, and they're going to get it on 90s Comics Retrial, part of the Council of Geeks podcast, available on iTunes and at 90scomicsretrial.wordpress.com. And now back to Head Speaks. And now it's time for... On the mark, get set. We're riding on the internet. The internet is really, really great. For porn. I got a fast connection so I don't have to wait. For porn. What? There's always some new site. For porn. I browse all day and night. For porn. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of Internet porn, Roman orgy scenes, internet porn, dominatrix queens, internet porn, girl on girl on girl on girl on girl on guy on sheep. You're going surfing on the internet. Where is head going? Today on Where's Head Going, uh, we're going to take a brief look at actually the last promo I played. It's the Council of Geeks 90s Comic Retrial by Nathaniel Wayne. Nathaniel Wayne, I have listened to his his uh, 90 Comics Retrial podcast and I'm enjoying it. As I said in an earlier episode, back in episode 12, I believe it was, with the Irredeemable Shag. Me and him talked about how the late 80s mid to late 80s, early 90s is our jam. We both agreed that that was, for us at least, the golden age of comics. That's around the same period we both got started. And so a lot, the 90s gets a lot of bad, bad press, if you will. A lot of people talk a lot of crap about the 90s. And yes, there was some bad periods during the 90s. Uh, that's when we got the whole grim and gritty. We got all the, the collector's market really hit big, all the multiple covers. There was a lot of bad during that time. But in my opinion, the early 90s at least, like I say, from 85 to about 95, that was a great period of comics. And so back to uh, Nathaniel Wayne's podcast, what he does, he picks a certain comic from that time frame, and he gives it the once over. He reads it, kicks the tires, takes it for a spin around the block, and he tries to decide was the 90s as bad as everyone says it was? He looks at a book from his, his collection and he basically pets it on trial. And each book, by a case-by-case basis, he tries to figure out if the 90s is as bad as everyone says it was. Uh, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But I definitely recommend uh, joining in and attending the trials, if you will. Especially if you were a fan of the comics at that time. Uh, sometimes he does it alone. Sometimes he has a guest host uh, helping him judge the book. But so far, every episode I've listened to, I've enjoyed. 
Uh, so that's where our head's going today. Definitely check out Council of Geeks, 90s Comics Retrial by Nathaniel Wayne. It's on iTunes. I'm sure it's probably on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, look for it. Again, it's Council of Geeks. Uh, that's the main grouping it's under. And on that Council of Geeks, there is a 90s Comics Retrial show. I definitely recommend checking it out. I can't do it justice. Anyway, that is where Head's going. And you know what? Not only that's where Head's going, but that's where Head's went. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, yes, it's a little delayed. I, again, I apologize for the delays of my shows. For the foreseeable future, my monthly schedule for each of my shows gone kind of by the wayside, the holidays family, everything else. Uh, but please don't despair. All four of my shows are still available. They're still coming uh, as soon as I can. Definitely stay with us. And if you enjoy this show, head over to iTunes and go ahead and leave some feedback over there. Uh, go ahead and rate us. It'll help bring our profile up. Uh, also, you can send me an email to head at headspeaks.com. You can go over to Facebook, look for Head Speaks. You look for our main feed of the Headcast Network over on Twitter, or you can just look for the Headcast Network. We're on there. You can leave a message on that. I'm not gonna, I don't have any listener feedback. I do have some Facebooks and Twitters, but we'll do that next time we're down the road. Uh, there's not a lot. There's a few here and there. But go ahead and send us an email. If, you, if I get any emails, I will read them on the air. If I get uh, iTunes Review, I'll read them on the air. And also, I've learned from uh, our buddy, as I mentioned earlier, the Irredeemable Shag. If you're a listener from out of the country, if you leave us a feedback, uh, come over to the website or send me an email and let me know you did if you're out of the country. Because apparently iTunes shuffles them around weird and you've got to log in differently to see uh, reviews from people outside the country. So if you're not in the United States and you leave an uh, iTunes review, please let me know so I can make sure I check it out and I will read these on the air uh, but I guess that's it for now again stay tuned for our next episode when I'll cover another appearance of the Atom uh, I think his next appearance was over in Supergirl uh, that was just a crowd shot I'm not going to cover that I'm just going to make a brief mention of it because again he didn't do anything it was just a crowd shot if you blink you miss him so I'm not so much worried about that uh, but other than that I believe next episode as far as the Atom goes, we'll be covering the Sword of the Atom special number one. That's his next appearance besides a brief, like I say, cameo crowd appearance in Supergirl. Uh, he's over in the Sword of the Atom special number one. Go ahead and read that if you want to read along. And hopefully I'll be back to you in a month or so. Um, I'm going to take a step back for a minute and give some real time behind the curtain look here. It's taken me a couple weeks to record this episode, just due to the way I have to record. Uh, today is December the 20th. Uh, I'm five days away from Christmas, four days, of, four days away from my birthday. So I just want to give you guys all a very Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, whatever you, Happy Yule. That's for you, Gene. Uh, whatever you celebrate, a good tidings to you and your family. And I want to thank you and everyone here at Headcast Network, which is myself, and then my buddies over on the G.I. Joe Roll American Headcast Show. 
We all want to wish you a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you worship, celebrate. And we just want to thank you for listening to our shows. Uh, we couldn't do this without you guys, honestly. I mean, I could still do this, and I probably would just because I enjoy talking about comics, and why not? But with you guys listening, it gives me, it, it fulfills my look at me, look at me attitude that my wife says I have, uh, which I agree with. So definitely thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in month after month, week after week, and paying up with my delays. But that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, again, join us hopefully next month for Head Speaks uh, 30 when we'll be talking about Sword of the Atom special number one plus whatever else fills the airways between then and there. Uh, hopefully next week or so I'll get the Task Force X episode out where I'll be covering the Deadshot miniseries. And then hopefully right after that I'll get the next episode of the Starman Manhunter Venture Hour out where I am looking at the Invasion miniseries. And I'll also give my brief thoughts on the recent CW Invasion crossover on the CW Network. And finally, it hasn't gone away. It's been a bit delayed trying to get together with my co-hosts and with the holidays and my family and all the hecticness of my life. My GIGL World American Headcast has been a bit delayed, but new episodes are coming. I'm, I'm trying to land up some guests some uh, interviews so stay with us thank you guys make sure you send us an email let me know what you think go to the facebook page twitter uh, give us a rating on itunes i'd appreciate it all right and i almost forgot uh today's song of the day or song of the episode since it's as i said it's almost christmas time let's come out around christmas time i'm gonna play whistles santa is a b-boy I heard this song back in the late 80s. It was on our tape called Gift Wrapping. Uh, and then I spent the next decade or two, next decade or two looking for it again. A uh, long story there. But uh, anyways, here is Whistle's Gift Wrapping. Enjoy, guys. Until next time, Head has Spoken. you for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google Plus, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X, where monthly I look at John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also, over on G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, my podcasting friends Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at 
HeadSpeaks.com. All, all comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on HeadSpeaks are owned wholly by the speaker of said comments and do not express the opinions of HeadSpeaks. Unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. HeadSpeaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, are all part of the headcast family. So, join us next month for another wonderful episode of Head Speaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night.
Boy, I wish I could be Santa Claus. 